build that wall. You remember that one? Build that wall. He promised that billions of dollars of Mexican money, apparently, was going to be spent on building a wall the length of the US-Mexican border. And that wall was going to keep out all of the rapists, the drug dealers, and the murderers, because there aren't any in America. They all live in Mexico, apparently. <laughs> I don't think the wall's actually started, but that could change. Who knows? Anyway. The message actually proved quite popular because people voted for Donald Trump. He got elected, um, and people went round to rallies uh, chanting, "Build that wall! Build that wall!" They really liked the message um, that he was, yeah, he was out there propagating. They liked it, and I don't know about you, but I wonder why. Why do people get behind that message? Why do people want that wall to be built? And so I was thinking about it, and I think one of the big reasons why it was so popular was because that message capitalised on fear. It capitalised on fear, and fear is a funny thing. It does strange things to us. Fear makes us overestimate what the risks are to. Um, to maybe our lives, our jobs, our security, our children. Fear made me wake up the other night thinking the house was genuinely going to fall down because it was so windy. It's fine, um, but fear makes us overestimate the risks. And fear does another thing、um, as well, and that's fear dehumanizes. Fear makes us think of people as less in some way. Fear makes us think about us and about them, about Mexicans and U.S. citizens, or British people and Europeans. Fear likes to have insiders and outsiders, and it's about fearing people who are different. And the word for that, the fear of strangers, is xenophobia. The fear of people who are not like you. The fear of strangers or foreigners. And so I guess it's not surprising that when people are afraid, they want to build walls. They want to keep the danger out. Now this term,、um, we have been thinking a little bit about the book of Ephesians, and this was a letter that was written by Paul, one of the biggest names in Christian history, to a church dealing with. These kinds of issues—issues issues to do with welcome, to do with belonging, to do with insiders and outsiders, and to do with community—and that's what we're looking at as a church this term. We're thinking a, a lot about the concept of community and being the kind of community that God is calling us to be. And so the passage we've got up to today is from chapter two, where Paul starts talking about this whole idea, this whole concept of building walls. So we're going to look at Ephesians two from verse eleven. It's going to come up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, that's great. So this is what he writes: Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, if we're going to fully understand what's really going on in this passage, we need to know a little bit about what life was like in ancient Israel. And in ancient Israel, there was a really um, concerted effort to address the issue of who was inside and who was out. And that was the separation between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. It was a really big deal. There was this whole raft of laws explaining what uh, the relationship between the two groups were to be. So if you were Jewish, you couldn't marry someone who was not Jewish, a Gentile person. You couldn't socialize with them. You couldn't hang out. There were lots and lots of rules and laws. And over time, they became more complex and intricate and detailed about keeping Jewish people and non-Jewish people separate. Now, when it came to worship, that was particularly true because Jews worshipped in the temple and they believed that that's where God's presence was. And because God's so holy, people couldn't get into that holy place in the temple. But they could get into the outer um, area of the temple. We've got a, this isn't a photo, I've been told. It's a picture. Anyway, this is probably what the temple looked like. So we've got the inner bit of the temple. That's where God's presence was. But you can see middle wall between Jews and Gentiles. There was this whole area where if you were Jewish, you were allowed in. But then there was a wall a dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. There was a separate wall, and it had a notice on the wall. And the notice, um, there's some archaeological evidence of that notice, which says, no foreigner is allowed past this point on penalty of death. So just to make sure the Gentiles knew that they were not allowed in and they were not welcome, basically they're saying, if you go past this point, it's your own problem what happens to you as a result. That's how important it was to keep Jews and Gentiles separate. And every Jewish person would have known this. Some would probably have had a sense of superiority. I'm better than the Gentiles because I'm special, I'm different, I'm set apart. Now, at the point uh, where Paul is writing in Ephesus, both Jews and non-Jews have become Christian, which is great. And Paul had done a lot of the groundwork behind that. But there was a problem because you don't suddenly overnight go lose that sense of superiority. You don't, if you've been keeping someone at arm's length, 
your whole life, and you've been encouraged to do that by your family, your culture, you don't suddenly embrace people. And so there was this issue of separation within the church. And that affected both the Jews, who would have felt more included, and there would have been a dividing wall of hostility, not literally, but metaphorically in the church, between them, the insiders, and the Gentile, the non-Jewish converts, who would have, I imagine, have felt inferior, they would have felt alienated and separated. So if you're Paul, and you're writing to this church in Ephesus with these problems, What are you going to do? How are you going to encourage people to come together? Let's look again at what he says. So these are Paul's words. His purpose, he's talking about Jesus at this point. Jesus' purpose, his whole mission, his purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So what he's saying is that Jesus' plan was always to bring peace to people, and not the kind of peace that works as long as you keep people separate and obedient and compliant, then everything will be calm and orderly and you don't need to worry. That's not the kind of peace he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of peace that comes when there's no longer insiders and outsiders. There's no longer um, people who are seen as inferior based on their ethnicity or their gender or their age or their ability or their education or whatever. Everyone is living in harmony with one another. Now, in 21st century Britain, we don't really understand how shocking and scandalous what Paul is actually saying here is, because when he was around, Ephesus was part of the Roman Empire. And people who lived in the Roman Empire were told to believe that it was the emperor who brought about peace. It was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And they brought about peace in an interesting way, and that was by destroying their enemies with violence and force, because they had a bigger army than everyone else, and threatening anyone who disagreed with their way of doing things with execution, with crucifixion, in fact. That was the way things worked. That's how peace peace was kept. And there were festivals um, where the emperor was celebrated as the bringer of peace, and people were expected to get on board with that idea. But Paul says in verse 14, Jesus is actually our peace. And it's kind of ironic, given what I've just said, that Jesus achieved that peace by being executed, by being crucified. Jesus didn't use force or violence, but he died on a cross. And because what happened at the moment that Jesus died was that we looked at the temple earlier, and in the temple, God's presence dwelt there, and it dwelt in a place called the Holy of Holies, and there was this big curtain that no one was allowed in apart from a priest once a year. And at the moment that Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two, and it was a big curtain, it was a thick curtain, it wasn't just a Ikea job. It was, a, it was a big curtain, and it, and it was torn in two, from top to bottom, it says in um, the Gospels. And, and the effect of that is absolutely massive, because that meant that there was no longer a separation between God in this holy place and people 
out there in the world, you and me. And this is massive because it completely changed everyone's thinking about God, about people, about everything, because it meant God's presence isn't restricted. It's not restricted to a temple. It's not restricted to a church on a Sunday evening. It's not behind a curtain that a priest is the only person who can access. God's now available to everyone. God's available regardless of who we are, what our background is, what uh, we may or may not have done we can all now come into the presence of God. But God's presence didn't spread out of that curtain that had been torn as far as just the insiders, the Jews. It knocked down that dividing wall of hostility. It spread out as far as the Gentiles. Further than that, it spread out to the whole earth. So that means that there can't now be a separation between insiders, outsiders, those who belong, those who don't. The dividing wall gets knocked down. Jesus has made peace between the two groups. Everyone is welcome in God's family. And maybe you're here and you've never really thought about that before. You've never thought about the fact that because of Jesus, we can all have direct access to God. We can have a relationship with God. We can pray to God. We can have God involved in our everyday lives because God isn't in a temple. God isn't in this church building. God is in the world. God is available to all of us. We can all get to know God. But the other thing that I want to uh, really think about this evening is that because of Jesus, there's no longer such a thing to God as strangers. There's no longer such a thing as foreigners or outsiders. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's involved in God's family if they want to be. And if that's true for God, that has to be true for the way that we treat people too. So instead of xenophobia, the fear of strangers, we talked about that earlier, that kind of fear that makes us want to build walls of hostility, not not, uh, literally, although it can be literal, metaphorically maybe, instead of xenophobia, we need to draw a line through that and replace it with another word, the word xenophilia, the love of strangers, the love of people who are different from us. Xenophilia, interestingly, is actually the Greek word for hospitality. It's interesting. Hospitality, think about it, is the direct opposite of the fear of strangers. So what does that look like? Something to think about. At St. Saviour's, we've been thinking, haven't we, quite a bit about how we can be welcoming, how we can do hospitality, how we can encourage people to feel part of a big family. And we want to reflect what God is like in the way that we treat people, the way we welcome people. That's why we've had the welcome course this evening. That's why we really want um, for this to be a place where people feel known and valued and belonging and that sense of belonging. We want to embody welcome. We want to embody hospitality, not just in our church, but in our everyday lives. That's really important to us. But if you're like me, you might be, you might not be, you might think I'm quite strange already, never mind. Anyway, if you're anything like me, you might think, that's fine, that's easy. I do that, I'm really hospitable, because I'm really good at inviting people over for dinner, and I'm really kind to my family and my friends, and I'm quite, you know, I'm quite good at that kind of thing. I, I do the Christmas card thing really, really well, and all of that. But I want us to think a little bit more about people who are on the outside for us individually. 
What about people who are on our, the other side of our own dividing wall of hostility? You might be thinking, I, I'm, I'm not sure I've got one, but maybe this is challenging. What about people who um, you don't like to associate with? What about people who uh, obviously vote differently from you? What about people who raise their children differently from you? Badly, you might think. What about people who've got different lifestyles from you? People who smoke when you don't like that, people who drink when you have a problem with that, people who swear, people who have a habit that you find just gross and disgusting, or people who've got poor hygiene, people who smell, people who are ugly, people who are really unpopular at school or college, people who have committed crimes, people who have poor social skills, who are really annoying or awkward, or you've just had a bad experience in the past with them. Think about it, honestly, do you have a dividing wall of hostility? Do you emotionally or sometimes physically find yourself withdrawing from people that you just really would rather not spend time with or people you think you're a bit better than? I think we all do this. I know I do at times. And it's not something that just happens in church, although it does. It happens at school, it happens at uni, it happens on the streets, in the classrooms, it happens in the supermarket queue, in a restaurant, at work. Because the thing is, it's really difficult to welcome and to be kind to people who are different from us. It's not easy. We have to put aside our fears, our prejudices, our sense of superiority. We have to choose to see people not as labels, as other, as instead we need to see people the way that God does, as people who are loved and welcomed by God. And you know, in the Bible, there's um, a picture painted right at the end of what the future is going to look like. <clears throat> and it's a future where one day God will dwell, God will live in the middle, in the midst of his people. And they will be people who are from every family, every age, every ethnicity, every class, every language, all of those things. And Paul says that it is through the church, that is us, that that vision of the future is being built here and now. That's the most amazing, diverse family of God is being built here and now through the church. Now, I don't know what that's gonna look like in reality, if and when we get there, but I wanna share with you a story of something that I think is a bit of an insight into what it might mean for us if we're gonna put this into practice. Okay, question for you. Has anyone been to A&E ever? A&E. Hands up if you've been to A&E late at night, on a weekend, for more than four hours. Okay, you might know where I'm going with this. Okay, so, <clears throat> A few years ago, I was sitting in A&E late at night with a friend. He'd had a football-related incident. Message of this, don't do football or sports. Um, anyway, we were sitting there late at night, and A&E is quite busy. And um, I noticed in the corner there was this guy called Eddie. And Eddie was a guy I'd known for a little while because he was homeless, and I used to volunteer at a cafe for homeless people. 
Um, Eddie had been homeless probably for a long time. He looked old, but he probably wasn't that old. It's just that living on the streets does that to you. He'd lived, lived on the streets for a long time, and he was um, an alcoholic. And A&E was busy, but he had a row of chairs to himself, probably because he hadn't washed in a long time, and he smelt quite bad. And he was kind of dozing in and out of consciousness, um, kind of asleep one minute, awake the other, definitely a strong cell, uh, smell of cider. People were keeping their distance um, from him. And then this chaotic night, people were kind of coming and going over a number of hours, and a lot of people were complaining about having to wait. And the later the night got, the drunker people appeared to be, and the more obvious it was that they'd fallen over in their high heels, they'd had a fight with someone, um, they'd smashed a mirror, you kind of get the, the picture. Big nights out, ending a little bit sour. Anyway, this one woman came in at one point and she was wearing good five, six inch heels and she had, um, nothing against that, she had um, a bloodied uh, knuckles and she had like got some tissue or something wrapped around it. So I assumed that that was why she was there. And she was not happy about being there at all. She was making quite a song and dance out of it. Now, she might have been in a lot of pain. She might have just been impatient but she definitely wasn't happy. But the thing that she really took issue with wasn't so much the fact that she was waiting, although she was unhappy about that. The thing that she really took issue with was the fact that the nurse who was calling out people's names called out Eddie's name before hers. And Eddie was not with it, so one of the hospital porters had to kind of come over and help him to his feet, and I think he might have been there before. It got the impression that he was known to that staff. Um, and the hospital porter got to, uh, helped him up to his feet and started helping him towards um, the front. And as he um, was doing that, this woman shouted some obscenities. I won't share them all with you, but the vibe was, he's disgusting, he's a waste of space. How dare you see him before me? I've been here, I'm waiting. Why are you bothering with him? And at that moment, the porter who was helping Eddie so gently, so calmly, so kindly, turned around, looked her straight in the eye and said, do you know what, he's got just as much of a right to be here as you. He's been waiting his turn, and you can wait your turn. And then just turned back around and looked after Eddie with the same amount of care and compassion that he clearly showed to every single person. And I was sitting in that waiting room that night, and I'd probably seen some of the worst of humanity. It's quite an experience. Um, but the gentleness and the kindness of that hospital porter, that hadn't, he hadn't looked at someone by a label or by being different. He'd seen someone in need and helped them and done his job appropriately, fairly, in the right way. That behaviour shone out as bright as day in that cold, dark, horrible hospital um, waiting room. And I think that's a picture of how God treats us, the love that God shows us, and the kind of hospitality that we need to show to one another. So if we want to be people who show true xenophilia, not xenophobia, true hospitality, we need to start taking down those dividing walls that separate us from other people. We need to make room in our hearts for outsiders to become insiders. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've never thought about the fact that God is a God of welcome. God welcomes you. God wants to have a relationship with you. 
Maybe that message that because of Jesus, God's presence is available to you and not just to special people, but to everyone. Maybe that's a new thing or maybe that's something that you're, that actually God is stirring something with that in you for the first time. We'd love to pray for you in a moment. We're going to, we're going to have a chance to do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel like an outsider. You may be in work or in your community. Maybe you feel like an outsider here in the church. And if that is true, I can only apologize and, and say that we will promise to make an effort to make you feel included and part of God's family and part of our family here at St. Saviour's. Maybe though, and maybe this is a lot of us, maybe you're here tonight and God is prompting you about a wall that you've put up between that person you just find impossible. Maybe the idea of letting down that wall seems really scary and really hard. Maybe there's a good reason you've put that wall up. Know, though, that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to one another. He is with us. He will give us a strength. And maybe there is someone that you can start, even in a small way, to show that kindness, that love to this week. It might be today. It might be this evening. We're going to have a moment of quiet, and we're going to have a chance to um, reflect on what we've been thinking about this evening. The band is then going to come and lead us in a time of worship and response. And if there is something that I've spoken about this evening that um, has triggered something in you and you want to come forward for prayer, there'll be a team here who'd love to pray with you. Maybe, though, you want to respond in worship and ask God to be speaking to you more about what God is calling you or prompting you to do. But let's pray. Yeah, God, we thank you that in Jesus, we can have access to you. That your presence is available for each and every one of us. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled not just to you, but to one another. We can be at peace with one another. And God, we're sorry when we put up walls between us and people that we, we want to keep out. We're sorry when we treat people as inferior. God, would you stir our hearts? Would you move us so that we can become people who show that true welcome, that true hospitality?